Good morning. Indeed, we're all here because of the faithfulness of God. Isn't that true? Surely is. Reading today is from James chapter 1, 22 to 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you've been faithful to each one of us here. We thank you that you've brought us to this place today, that we can be with you and with one another, that we can sing together, that we can hear the word of God. And as these words say, we want to be ones who hear what is said, but then also do what is said. We all understand that it's easy to learn something, then forget it. We've all been out like that in the past, but Lord, might we be ones who really do and excitedly and, and, and desiringly so want to hear you and then put what you say into action. We pray that, Lord, just again, thank you for your great love, your faithfulness, your kindness to each one of us. Just, just lead Steve now, fill him up with your spirit, your word, as he just shares the word with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Steve just read in that passage, the Bible is described as a mirror. You look in there, you see yourself, right? Every day when you pick up the Bible, every passage that's in there, you can see something about yourself. God destined it to be so. He wrote his word as something to constantly remind us of what we are, of what he is, of what he desires of us. So as Christians, every time we pick up the Bible, we should look at it and deem it a mirror and, and see what we're looking for, what we're trying to find. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Paul is rehearsing Israel and all the things that happened to them in the wilderness as they wandered for 40 years, and mostly the mistakes that they made in questioning God and doubting Him and complaining, everything else. And... In verse 11, after he's got through talking about all this, he says, All these things happened unto them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So everything that you see in the Bible, every time you look at one of the biblical characters from Adam and Eve all the way to the Apostle John or one of them. God wants you to learn something from them. There's a famous phrase, I don't even know if I can quote it correctly, but it says, those who don't learn history are destined to repeat it. <laughs> so if, if you can't look at what's happened in the past and learn from that, you're going to end up with the same results. So you don't want to do that. There's a school that you can learn from, like God's Word, and from your parents and from other people, that they've made mistakes or they've done things right and they share with you and you can learn that way. Or you can go to the school that I went to an awful lot. It's called the School of Hard Knocks. How many of you all been to that school before? 
that's not usually a pleasant school to go to. So I would recommend that we learn the right way and not the wrong way. So what I tried to do this morning, my term, um, the title of my sermon is See Yourself in the Bible. So I took um, 11 people in the Bible, and I looked at what I saw as something that I learned from them. Now, you may, each one of us is going to see something different from those people. But I think the, all 11 of these people have a character, either flaw or a character, um, something good in their character that I want to copy and learn from. So I have, I think, I've got, actually I used at the very end, I'll give you a preview, Saul and Paul are in there together, so you get two for one on that one. <laughs> so I got, I got six good and six bad things we can learn from these people. So I'm going to start with Adam and Eve. And one of the, the main things that I learned from Adam and Eve, to look at them, one of the, their main issues improperly th- that they did was to doubt God, right? Satan comes up to Eve, and she's sitting there at the tree. Don't ask me why, okay? <laughs> the whole garden is nothing but great trees. They can eat out of any one of them they want. One tree, stay away from this. You can't eat this fruit. That's all God says. You cannot eat the fruit off this garden, off this tree. You can tend to it. You can do whatever you want. You can't eat the fruit. So Satan comes along in the form of the serpent. He says, is that what God really said? Does God mean that? Surely you're not going to die when you do that. You got this all wrong, right? You're, You're just not. And then he starts putting in their minds, you know what? God is holding back on you, right? He knows you eat that fruit, baby, you're going to know good from evil. You're going to be like him. So God wants to be God, and he wants to keep you down here. He doesn't want you to have all the good stuff. The rest of the fruit in the garden, that's all just show. This is the real thing. This is the one you want. And they started doubting God. Eve even, if you read it, all of a sudden Eve goes, oh, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it. She's making stuff up in her own head about it. He's already gotten to her and gotten her thinking about what's going to be wrong. So for me, in my own mind, I've got to be careful because I can follow that pattern. I can look at my life, and there are things I want. I'd like a Rolls Royce. How many of y'all would like a Rolls Royce? No, not everybody. Okay. Um, How many of y'all would like a, a mansion like that one over there on White Trout Lake? Not everybody wants that. All of us have our different wants and desires. I have some that I want God to give me, and God says no. Whoa, what do you mean you're telling me no? Why can't I have that? Aren't I a good Christian? Don't I do what you ask? Aren't I in church every Sunday? Don't I lead the music? God says no. So I start doubting that he has my best in mind. Does God always tell the truth? The Bible nowadays, you've got a lot of churches that say the Bible's got some truth in it, but it's not all the truth, Right? Some of it's there, some of it's good. You, can, you know those miracles, ah, somebody's imagining some things. They want to start throwing things out of the Bible. Is God always right? Is he always true? Does God know everything? Does he have my best interest at heart? Some, some of you probably didn't, but how many, how many of y'all when you had kids and they were grabbing something they weren't supposed to, you took it away from them? How many of them cried when you did that? How many of them you gave it back to them? Good, good for you. (laughs) 
I want a lot of things, and I cry a lot when God won't give them to me, but he knows what's best for me, and he's not going to give it to me. So Adam and Eve, if you're going to take from me, I'm taking from them. I'm not going to doubt God. I'm not going to question his leading in my life. We just got to read in Proverbs, singing Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust him completely in everything, and he'll direct your path. I have to believe in my heart that God knows what's best for me, that he wants what's best for me, and that he gives me what's best for me all the time. God is good all the time. <laughs> all the time, God is good. We can't doubt him. We can't question all the time what he's doing. We're going to end up doing our own way, and, and I know where that leads me in a world of hurt. So from them, I learned that. Uh, scriptures to go with that. In James, God says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't say, okay, God, I'll follow you here, but no, God, I'm not going to follow you there. You're going to be like a ship tossed on the sea with no rudder, blown around where it's going. And Proverbs 3 that we read before. All right, that's my first illustration there. Number two, pretty close right behind, Cain and Abel. That's an interesting story. You have two brothers who one is a sheep herder, one is a gardener, a farmer. Both of them first kids on the earth. They can choose their own path where they want to go. What the, the, the ideas are limitless. They could have been rocket scientists, anything they wanted to be. There was no, they were the only ones there. So Cain is very good at what he does. He's an excellent farmer, brings forth great fruit from the ground. Abel is good as what he does. He has great herds of sheep and goats and whatever else he had. At that time, God required of them, as he did with Adam and Eve, of giving him a sacrifice. And he says, I want the sacrifice to be a lamb, blameless, that you have to do it. So Abel brought a sacrifice that God required, a lamb. Cain, on the other hand, brought fruits and veggies and a lovely platter that he had grown in it with his own two hands in his garden that he was very proud of, beautiful tomatoes, excellent celery, uh, radishes, maybe even some watermelons. Who knows what all he had there, but he's bringing his very best that he grew. And God says, that's not what I wanted. God says, I want my way. Ooh. That goes back to the doubt. goes ties in perfectly with the doubt there. There are times in my life when I want to do it my way, not God's way. And I look, I got to look at Cain and Abel and say, I see where that gets me. Gets Cain a stamp on his head that says, don't kill this guy, but he is forsaken on the earth because he killed his brother. It got him so angry, so mad that God wasn't satisfied with what he brought that he would kill his brother over it in jealousy. So what's my response when God tells me he wants something and I say, I want to do it my way? I'm thinking, as he did, I want to bring what, what I brought. God says, I want you to do this for me in this way. I want you to, to sing up here, but I want you to make sure when you're singing that you're giving me the glory. 
that you've given me the credit, that when you sing, you're worried, is the Holy Spirit using these words and my voice and the things that I'm doing? Am I doing it for God? Am I doing it for His glory? Or am I taking a bow when I get through? Or I want to walk down the aisle with my real slow with my guitar so that everybody stops and says, wow, you were really good this morning. I like that. Those songs were amazing. What a voice. I noticed none of y'all have done that recently, but and that's I don't want you to. <laughs> Make sure this morning you don't say anything about the music, okay? But that's not God's way. My way is not God's way. Cain said, I want to bring a sacrifice that I grew. Why? Because it represents me. I did it. I can please God with my vegetables. I can please God with my hands, with what I can do. And the world is trying to do that right now. Every other religion in the world is trying to somehow appease God and work their way to heaven. Every religion besides Christianity. Christianity is the only religion in the world where we bring nothing in our hands. We simply come to Jesus and say, you did it all, and it's by grace that I'm saved. Cain says, why has it got to be your way? I don't understand that, God. Why has it got to be your way? Why? That's the human nature, the human pride that makes us want to do it our way. My righteousness is good enough. That's what Cain was saying. What I do, you have to accept that, God. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Coming to God and saying, you have to be satisfied with what I'm bringing. You have to take what I've got. God respected Abel's offering, it says, but God did not respect Cain's offering. And so it drove him to jealousy. Scriptures... The Bible says there is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One name. And it ain't Buddha. It ain't Muhammad. It ain't Hare Krishna. It's Jesus Christ. You can't come any other way. And even if you're going to call on Jesus, but you're going to say, but I'm also going to do this. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross, but I know he needs me to do some other stuff to get there. That's too simple. Can't be just that. What's the last thing we we sang in Ephesians 2.10? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to get to heaven like this. You ain't going to be walking around talking about all the stuff you did for God. Everybody's going to be saying it was all God, throwing our crowns at his feet. It's only God. All right, I got two bad ones. How about a good one? We got a good, you guys got to learn, learn some good stuff. Noah. Ooh, what do you learn from Noah? What do you learn from Noah? You know what I learned from Noah? Perseverance. Do you realize it took Noah 100 years to build the ark? Did you hear that? 100 years. Same project. I've been working for Tico for 38 years. It seems like an eternity. Noah did a manual labor. I'm not going to say senseless because it was obviously, it took craft to build the boat. 
a thing almost the size of an ocean liner to put all those animals in. But for a hundred years, every day you walk out, you put your tool belt on, you get out your chisel and your hammer and your nails and your screwdriver, and you go out and you build a boat for a hundred years. God, couldn't you just poof and put it there? Why? I don't know. Couldn't you have made one somewhere we just discover it and all get on there? A hundred years God called him to that. Says Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Man, hard work for a very long time, no accolades. You think that all of his neighbors and all the rest of the world was coming around to see this boat that Noah built? Wow, Noah, you're amazing. Look at this boat in your backyard with no water for 100 miles around. Genius. Nobody's saying anything to Noah. He's not getting anything from anybody. They're laughing at him, making fun of him. Rain's coming. Ooh, whatever that is. Yes, for 100 years. But Noah was perseverance. You know what else I think about that? I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I get to teach God's word and I get to sing sometimes, but I'm not full time. And sometimes as Christians, we, we say that to ourselves. What am I really doing for God? I'm just here in the pew every week. Read 1 Corinthians 12 sometimes. Because if you're a big toe... You're very important. If you're a thumb, you're very important. We look at the body and we say, ooh, the eyeball, man, that's cool. That's the biggest thing. No, maybe the ear. But it's all a body. It all works together. And every piece, if you're missing that little valve that's up there on the top part of your heart, I guarantee you'll miss it. Every little part... You've got a job to do for God. I don't know what it is, but it's important to God because he puts you in it. And he wants you to persevere in it every day. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to go to work. I'm getting tired. I'm getting old. My hands hurt sometimes in the morning when I get up. God's called me to this job. He's given it to me. He desires for me to do that. So I do it for his honor and his glory the best I can do. That's what you're supposed to do in everything you do. For his honor and his glory, to the best of your ability, every day. Perseverance for God. Okay, another good one, another positive one. Abraham. Abraham, obviously, everybody gets this one. He's the father of faith, right? He's the one that had the faith to pick up a knife and fix and kill his kid, thinking that God's going to bring him back to life. He's the one that was living in a pretty fancy city for that time and got up and moved out into to live in a tent in the middle of nowhere and just keep walking until God told him to stop. He's got a lot of faith in what he did. He departed the way God told him from, from Ur of the Chaldees until he got to Canaan. And he believed that God would give him a son even when he was 99 years old. said because he had faith in God, it was a, given to him, accounted to him for righteousness. And whenever he was up and lifted up, he's walking with his son, and his son is carrying the wood for the altar and everything. He says, Dad, we got some wood here for the altar, and we got the fire, and where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. (laughs) And it turned out he did. But he was actually willing to kill his son 
because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. He had some shortcomings and he failed a lot of times, but he's a great man of faith. He could have said, where am I going? When am I going to get there? You ever gone on vacation, your kid's in the back seat every five minutes? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Abraham, he didn't ask God that. He just kept walking until God told him to stop. The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. We have to have faith in God. Even when we can't see, we are people of senses. We see, we feel, we hear, we taste, we touch. And we like that. We like that part of our world. But God wants us to have spiritual eyesight to be able to see beyond this world what's there. Because your treasures are not here. I got a very nice house in Seminole Heights. I got a 2016 Nissan something out there in the parking lot. I got some money in my bank account, but that's not my treasure. (laughs) That's not my treasure. My treasure's in God's presence, and he's going to give me that one day. So I need to keep my eyes on the prize, and that's not here, that's there. So as, as Abraham was, we have to have that saying. As it says in Hebrews, face is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It means that through faith we can see spiritual things so real we can touch them. That's what God desires of us. That's what we can learn from Abraham to have that kind of faith. That if God told you to do something, even though it sounds crazy, even though it sounds opposite of what you want to do, you have the faith to step out and do what he wants you to do. Okay, back to the bad. Right next to him is his his, uh, nephew, Lot. What do you learn from Lot? Don't turn back. His wife turned back, turned to a pillow of salt. That's definitely a no-no. He didn't do that. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and he he left with him. He had the same. Abraham said, God has called me, and I'm going to go to a promised land. Lot was willing to leave his house and go with him, too with their father, and they all left together and went out. And he stayed with Abraham all the way to the promised land. So Lot had faith. Lot was a believer in the same sense that Abraham was in the Old Testament. It tells us that in the New Testament in Peter. So Lot and Abraham start getting so blessed by God, they have so much cattle, so much everything else, that they can't live together and they've got to split up. Abraham's the bigger man. He says, you choose what you want. So Lot looks around and he sees the beautiful pasture land over near Sodom and Gomorrah and all that lovely. And he says, I'll take that. And Abraham says, I'll take what's left. And God says, I'm going to give all of this to you and it's going to be great. So Lot moves into that land and pretty soon he starts looking at the city of Sodom. And he says, you know what? I kind of miss city life, so I'm going to go back there. And he, and he camps next to it and eventually moves into the city. So now Lot's living in this city. And the next time we see Lot, he's on the city council. Whoa! And this is a wicked city. And Lot knew it when he got there. And Lot knew it when he moved in. And Lot knew it when he got on the city council. He knew this was a wicked place. But how many of y'all ever heard the story how to boil a frog? You get a pot of water, cold water, and you put the frog in there, and you turn the hot, put it on heat, 
that frog will sit right there until he boils. He'll never jump out. If you try and throw him into boiling water, he'll jump right back out. You put him in the water, he gets used to it. He says, that's nice and warm. I like this. Pretty soon he just kind of goes to sleep and he's boiled. Lot was a righteous man, but he moved in with unrighteous people, and pretty soon he was acting just like them. The lesson I learned from Lot is worldliness and what it'll do to me. And i got to watch it every day of my life because the world is out there to make me just like them. That is their desire. They come on my television set and they tell me that drinking beer is fantastic and smoking cigarettes, I'll be the life of the party. And if I drive this car, I will be the envy of all my neighborhood. They do that every day. And evil people are constantly around me trying to tell me dirty jokes or talk me into doing evil things. That's worldliness. That's Satan's tool, and he wants to drive me to that. Lot said, I'm going to look out for number one. He says, I deserve to live in a nice city. He said, it's not perfect, but I can live with it. Boy, famous last words. It's not perfect, but I can live with it. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8 says that Lot, a righteous man, was tormented in his soul while he was living in Sodom, and he still stayed there. I get tormented living in this world, I tell you. The things that are around me, it, it, it kills me sometimes, the things that I see going on. I can't stop it, but it's going on. 1 John 3 says, love not the world. He's not talking about good old mother earth he, he, he's talking about the things that are in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life all that's in the world is going to pass away but he who does the will of god will abide forever satan tempted jesus with all those same things food fame glory but he didn't go for it he says the word of god is what i live for and living for god is what i live for and Hebrews, when he was talking about the children of Israel and things that happened to them when they were wandering in the wilderness, he said they started to drift. Ooh. How many of you have ever been on, in a, in a, on the ocean and when I went to the beach and got on one of those floaty rafts and just floating along, closed your eyes, next thing you know you're 100 yards from shore? That's called drifting. I'm, I didn't have time to read the Bible today or tomorrow, or the next day, next thing you know, you're a long way from God. Guess who moved? When God. It's me. So i got to watch it. My heart is prone to evil. I'm prone to drifting. So I have to be careful, like Lot, to not, I'm in this world, I can't help it, I can't go anywhere else. But I can come to a place and get filled up again, and get reminded of what God does for me, encouraged and fellowshipping. And I need to take every advantage of that every time I can. Because I don't want to drift and I don't want to get caught in worldliness like Lot. I'm not going to spend any time on this one real quick, but Esau. And this is probably the most horrible example of anybody in the scriptures. And you're saying, whoa, what is that about? Esau was the first son of Isaac. He was a mighty hunter. He could go out and kill game, cook it up. He was a man's man. He was John Wayne. He was Rambo. And he was 
He thought that way about himself too. He was awful proud of himself. But the Bible uses a word to describe him as called profane. And that means he didn't think anything at all about God or anything godly. He cared nothing for God. God did not mean anything to him at all. One time he was out hunting and didn't get anything. He came back. His brother was cooking some porridge. And he said, give me something to eat. He says, if you sell me your birthright, your spiritual birthright, I'll give it to you. Esau said, it ain't worth nothing to me. You can have it and gave it away. His spiritual birthright to be the one chosen by God to carry on the line. He gave it away like that. Profane man. Didn't care anything at all about God. I don't want to be that man ever, ever think like that. That the things of God to me would be nothing. And so a trifle that I could just care nothing about and give away. But all of our hearts, again... <laughs> I'm not saying that I've never been like that. I, I've been, I, I had some issues in my life when I was younger when I didn't care anything at all about God, just turned my back on Him and did what I wanted to do. So all of our hearts are prone to evil. There's nothing that dwells good in me. Paul said that too. Let's go back to good. I'm tired of it bad. Moses. What I learned from Moses, meekness. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man who ever walked the earth. Wow. Meekest man. So if you know the story of Moses, he was rescued by the Pharaoh's daughter and made the number two guy in Egypt. So for 40 years, he lived in Egypt, grew up there, learned everything, became the Pharaoh's son, basically, as far as he was concerned. Then he killed one of the Pharaoh's servants and ran like a sissy boy out in the desert. He lived there for 40 days, 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep and stuff. And then God called him back to go back to Egypt and set his people free. So it took God 40 years to get Moses out of Egypt. And then it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Moses. (laughs) And then he took him back to Egypt to get everybody out of Egypt, okay? So Moses... He, was, he wasn't a timid person. Remember the boldness of Moses to go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he was standing at the Red Sea and, and parted it. And time and time again, standing up for God, he's, he's standing there with the Ten Commandments coming down the mountain and the children of Israel are dancing around the golden calf and he breaks them in anger and fierceness. I think Moses was a powerful man and he, was, he certainly wasn't a timid man. But timidity is not the same thing as meekness. Meekness is under, under control. It's power under control. Moses recognized that everything that he was was God. It had nothing to do with him. By the time he came back to Egypt, he was a humble man, a meek man, and he was depending totally on God for everything that God would call him to do. I said he got to the Red Sea, the children of Israel are going, oh, no, we're going to die. Look at us. And why did you bring us out here to die and, and everything? You know what Moses said? He walked over to the water and looked at it. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Boom. Cecil B. DeMille's makes it spread apart, and they all walk across. Every time Moses did something in, in, with the children of Israel, 
He said, this is God doing it. It ain't me. Every time Moses gave God all the credit, he never took anything upon himself. He was always recognizing that it was God doing it. That needs to be my attitude all the time. And it's real easy to do, actually. You get up and sing, I got a decent voice. Did I create that voice myself? Yes, hooray, I did it. God did it, not me. He made me everything. Did, did I make myself be born in Tampa, Florida? Did I make myself be born in the United States? Did I make myself tall or short or anything about myself? No. It's all God. You've got to give him credit. You start thinking of something you do, you're wasting your breath and thoughts. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. We need to keep that in the forefront of our minds. It's always about him. It's never about us. It's always about God. Give him credit for everything. Paul said, all that I am, I am by the grace of God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he has made us and not we ourselves. We're his sheep and his people and the sheep of his pasture. Like Moses, we should, every time we start to do something in your mind, you should say, stand still and see God work. Can we do that? Can we always keep in our mind that it's God doing it, not us? Not take credit for things. Keep ourselves humble and meek. Another good one, Joseph. The word of the day for Joseph and for me is fortitude. That's a good word, isn't it? Fortitude. Looked it up in the dictionary. It says, strength of mind that allows one to endure pain or adversity with courage. Can you do that? Can you look at things, if everything goes south, can you still look to God and believe that he is doing something and trust him and wait for his salvation? Or do you do like me and try and figure it out yourself and do it some other way? (laughs) you're not doing it fast enough, God, here, let me help you. Or, I don't like the way you're doing it, God, let's do it this way. This would be much better for me, much more along my skill set, whatever it is that I'm trying to tell God and bargain with him and convince him that there's a better way than his way. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, and, and he gets bought by a guy, in Egypt that makes him head of his household. Things are looking good. Joseph's going, yeah, you meant that for bad, but look what God has done. The guy's wife accuses him of of attempting to rape or he goes back in prison again. God, what are you doing? What good did it do me to serve you? You put me right back in prison again. This is ridiculous. So God makes him a dream interpreter. And the guy gets out of jail. He says, don't forget me when you get to Pharaoh and let him know I'm here. The guy, when he gets there, he goes, oh, by the way, king, it was somebody I supposed to murder. Never mind. So Joseph sits for two more years and is rotting in jail. Finally, he gets out, interprets a dream, becomes the second leading guy in all of Egypt. Now, what if Joseph had tried to take things in his own hands, escape from jail, <laughs> or run away, or, or 
whatever he's going to do, whatever he try and bribe somebody to get out. There's all kind of things you can think you're going to you know, hire a better lawyer or whatever it is that you think you can do or I think I can do to try and make things work out my way. He would have missed being the second in command and saving the world, saving the world <laughs> because he persevered. He had fortitude. He waited for God. He had courage that God was going to do something. And that's hard to do. It's hard to wait on God. I am an impatient person, and I lack fortitude. I want to cry like a little girl and complain that God's not doing what I want instead of just sucking it up and having a little guts and a little fortitude and wait for God to work and let him work. Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I did a scripture song not too long ago from Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> Joseph could have been singing that in the, in the jail cell. You know, It doesn't look good, but if God's for me, who can be against me? I've got to trust him. All right, back to another bad, sorry. Israel, in general, specifically looking at the 40 years they're wandering around in the wilderness. So Israel is in Egypt. They are made to work as slaves, beaten, uh, just treated very harshly as, as much as they could be. God finally brings them out. First test, they get to the Red Sea. They saw God do all of those 12 plagues and get them completely out of Egypt. When they left Egypt, the people were begging them to leave, giving them money, giving them gold, giving them food and clothing and animals. Please leave, go. They get to the Red Sea. You'd figure they'd be going, wow, what's God going to do now? Was that their attitude? No. They are what we call murmurers. Are you a murmurer? I'm a murmurer sometimes. It even sounds like that when I say it, when I do things like that. A disbeliever, a dissatisfied person. They said, oh, you bring us out here to die. We should go back to Egypt. God's parts of the Red Sea. They get on the other side. They sing, all the Egyptians die. If you're well from now on, they're going to trust God, right? They get to Merah, the water, first watering hole. The water's bitter. They can't drink it. Oh, you brought us out of Egypt. This is so horrible. I wish we'd go back to those leeks and garlics and melons and whippings. And Oh, no, no, I mean, uh, God fixed it. You say, well, okay, twice they learned their lesson. God is feeding them in the, in the 40 years with manna, angel food. Now, I'm not talking about angel food cake. I'm talking about angel food. Most unimaginable things we can imagine. Great food. We're tired of manna. Why can't we have some meat? Oh, those leeks, those garlics. Those, they really like those leeks and garlics and melons. They talk about them all the time. They were fixing to get up a posse and go back to Egypt, get somebody to lead them back to Egypt. God sends quail so thick that they can knock them down with their hands. Pretty soon quail's coming out their nose because they're arguing with God about something. Man, and on and on and on it goes with these guys. 
That's why he wrote that verse that I read. All these things happen to them as examples to us for our admonition. Don't be a murmurer. Don't complain. My goodness. Think of all I got and I'm complaining. Well, God, I didn't have filet mignon tonight. I'm a little upset. Wow. That I would complain. We want to go back. We want to go back. We want to go back. That hymn, Count Your Blessings, that'll help you. That's a great hymn. You start complaining, start singing that song, you won't complain. It says, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. When I get start my, I find my mind start to be depressed or question God and what He's given me, I start counting stuff that He has given me. Name them one by one. Thousands and thousands of things that God has given me takes my mind off of that and makes me appreciate him. Uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> I've learned whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Now, that was from a guy who ended up in two or three shipwrecks and prisons, beatings. You want to read about the things Paul went through, but he was content with wherever he was that God was going to take care of him. All right, back to good. Got to hurry a little bit here. I'm, I'm talking too long. I'll talk faster. Can you listen faster? Okay, David. Boldness. I like David. He's a bold guy, man. That guy, <laughs> he's going to take all Goliath to say, you know what you're doing? He says, man, I grab lions by the beard. I kill bears, baby, with my bare hands. What are you talking about? God will do it. But he wasn't, he was bold, but he was always saying God will do it. Why did he want to kill the uh, David? Did he want to kill Goliath? Because he wanted to make a name for himself? Because he wanted to be the greatest soldier and all that? He says, he's mocking God. I'm going to go out there and cut his head off. Because he was bold. He was living for God. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He, he, he believed in God. He believed that God trained him and gave him every bit of strength he had, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power to bend, to bend a bow and shoot and to jump over a wall and kill in God's name and defeat other armies for God. Dave was a bold guy. He knew God would deliver him and what he's going to do. But he wasn't boldness in himself. David's theme song would be God can do it. Nothing God can't do. Is there anything too hard for God to do? Nothing as far as David was concerned. And the last one, Saul slash Paul. So you get a twofer here. Saul was pride. Paul was humility. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Can you imagine if you saw Saul and then two years later you saw Paul somewhere? <laughs> You're going, this, this is crazy. Saul was holding the clothes for the guys who were stoning Stephen. He was out rounding guys up to throw them in prison. Two years later, he's in prison because he's talking about Jesus. <laughs> oh, pride, humility. The old Paul said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. My, the laundry list is this long of how great I am. I said under Gamelia, I am the greatest Pharisee of Pharisees that's ever been. 
in Philippians, when he writes about that, Saul, Paul says, all those things are dung, poop, junk, garbage, that I may know him in the powers of resurrection. All the things he was bragging out before, he says, throw them out the window, it doesn't mean a thing. God is the only thing now. It's his strength, not mine. His life became totally upside down once he got saved, once Jesus changed him. Pride goeth before fall, and a haughty spirit before destruction, Proverbs says. James says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. you got a choice. You want to know something? The Bible says that God sets himself up in a military fashion against pride. Did you hear that? God is against pride, and he takes action against pride. So I don't think I want any pride. I don't want to be a proud person because it says God sets himself against the proud. I I don't want to be that. I want to be humble. I want to recognize that it's God, not me. I don't want to brag. I want to boast in Jesus. So, that's all I got for you. I trust that every time you open the Bible, you'll try and see yourself there. It's all kind of people. I had named just, just to name a few, okay? There are thousands of people in the Bible. And every one of them we probably have something in common with. God means for us to look and learn so that we see the bad and avoid it. And we see the good and we follow it. So that we will be all of the good things that he desires us to be and none of the foolish things. We can learn from others or we can learn in the school of hard knocks. In the Bible, God says, I want you to learn the easy way. Let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me help you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's alive. (laughs) I thank you that you wrote all this down for us, that we can look back and learn. And I see myself in every one of these people, good and bad, and I see you so patient with me. I just pray that you'll help me have a love for your word and a desire to be constantly looking in there to see myself. Help all of us to have that attitude. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.